Hello my loves, I'm Carly and welcome to Tea with Kings and Queens, the podcast where I chat to the most exciting he, she's and they's from the world of drag, burlesque and cabaret. In today's episode, I'm talking to the international burlesque sensation Pearl Noir. Among her many accolades, Pearl has been named one of the world's top burlesque performers by 21st Century Burlesque magazine for 10 years in a row. After spending several years as a cast member in Dita Von Teese's stage show Strip Strip Hooray, Pearl went on to complete a stint in Velvet, a musical starring Australian disco diva and superstar Marsha Haynes at the Sydney Opera House. Pearl continually challenges herself with new ventures, including performances with her award-winning dance company The House of Noir and her new transformative Healing Through Seduction series. In 2020, she presented the world with the Noir Pageant, the only burlesque pageant dedicated to uplifting the BIPOC community through healing events. It was a true pleasure to talk to Pearl as I caught up with her via Zoom to hear more about her philosophy around healing through seduction and how she continues to push boundaries in her art form. Enjoy. So in today's episode, I am talking to a powerhouse. It's my absolute pleasure to be chatting with burlesque icon, sensual coach, intuitive healer and creative director, Pearl Noir. Hello, Queen. Hello, 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 Queen. Hello, Queen. (laughs) Hello, Queen. (laughs) It is so good to talk to you. Now, you're in New York right now. I am in Brooklyn. I am in Brooklyn dealing with Brooklyn life. I love it though. I, I, I absolutely love it. It's finally getting warm here because you know, New York City, it's usually a blizzard all year round. So I'm like a summer baby. So I'm like, yes, give me some heat. Lovely. It is sunny in Liverpool today actually as well, which is very yes. nice. Makes see look great. Um, I usually start these podcasts, particularly recently, just checking in seeing how you're doing. These are still difficult times we're in. So how are you right now? Um, I totally understand that we are living through a a pandemic. Um, But I also, I also know that we've all been surviving however many years that we've been living, not understanding that other parts of the world have been on fire. They've been dealing with things um, and I just feel like if I survive my childhood, I can survive any, anything. And I also feel extremely grateful to be alive right now. Mm-hmm. As a Black woman, I can go right online on Instagram and see representation. I don't have to wait on any producer in Hollywood, any producer in theater to show me who I am. As an entrepreneur, uh, I'm in three business groups and they are multimillionaires who look just like me selling hopes, selling dreams, selling soap, you know, just honoring whatever their calling is. And so right now I feel deeply grounded in gratitude. So many people are also open to what I do, which is use burlesque as a healing modality. And so I'm personally having the time of my life in the midst of a storm, but I also learned how to do that as a child. Mm. And these must have been strengths that you have that you drew on throughout lockdown, which I know was incredibly hard for anyone that was creative. You know, it was for for a lot of people that I knew, but I I have not found it to be hard. I I was kind of grateful for lockdown in the sense that 
there was an opportunity for burlesque in particular to finally catch up to all the other forms of art. So Broadway shows can be seen on Amazon or they can be seen on PBS. Ballroom dance competitions can be seen on different platforms. Our, our big stars have music videos. That's why their legacy continues to grow. And burlesque in particular, I felt was extremely late in regards to taking advantage of things like YouTube, of things like Instagram, and, and not understanding the opportunity to really create your own path right now. So for me personally, I thought lockdown was brilliant because yes, you can go do a live performance and captivate a hundred people. But if you do an online performance, AKA a music video, AKA make it a movie, you can reach thousands. So I was kind of like that crazy person that was like, you know, I won't say crazy person, but I've always been a visionary. And so I was like, this is great for burlesque, this lockdown. You're gonna actually also make more money. Let's talk about your financial security so that this art form can truly thrive. So I, I thought the lockdown was a blessing. I cannot imagine a time where you were just sitting watching the world go by. I think you're always, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> always creating, always thinking. And yeah. um, I also noticed within the burlesque community during lockdown, there was a lot of time for reflection and discussion, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. seemed quite positive. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people were able to think about their worth as well. Um, but unfortunately, there was a lot of people that just were extremely depressed because they couldn't perform out, you know, in public. Um, and any of my students, any of my clients, I just tried to encourage them to see the possibilities of themselves. It's like, well, I'm sure if, you know, Beyonce called you to ask you to do burlesque in a music video, you would jump at the opportunity. <laughs> So do you know what a music video is? It is just you being documented on a screen. <laughs> so create your own music video right now. A lot of the burlesque performers I spoke to who didn't engage in social media as much or weren't creating videos, we're talking about the issue for them was the connection being lost from them and the audience. And I know connection with people is very important to you. We'll, we'll come on to that more later. But how did you get over that when you were creating digital content? See, for me, you have more of an opportunity to connect through the digital platform. One, again, the numbers. Mm. It's all about the numbers. And again, we have to remember as artists, the reason why people who are icons, the David Bowies, the Tina Turners, the Beatles, the Elvis Presleys, the Madonnas, they did not become icons by us seeing them perform in small bars. It was the connection through film, through music videos. It's watching the awards on TV. We're all getting these amazing experiences and inspirations from music videos as artists. Most burlesque performers in particular and drag performers recreate videos all the time. So, so unfortunately it's, a, it's a, I think we're all trained to sometimes just see the downside first and to have limiting beliefs of ourselves. So it's like, you know for a fact that you're inspired by a music video, 
you know for a fact that you felt the connection, but you've told yourself that people will not be able to connect with you if it's via Zoom, if it's via Instagram, if it's via YouTube. And that's a lie. That's that's self-sabotage, you know, and we're all guilty of listening to that inner saboteur. And, and that's why when you are an artist, especially something like focusing on your self-care, wellness, therapy is important because then you can speak to your therapist or your coach about how you're dealing with not feeling worthy. Cause that's also a not feeling worthy. Uh, I don't have what it takes to reach someone through the screen. It has to be in person. That's a lie. Mm-hmm. As an entertainer, you have what it takes. And so for me with the connection, you know, I've had people feel the vibration w- when I'm giving them Reiki through the screen. I've had people still cry from me just moving my hands in a workshop or a performance online. And so, but I also understood that, that, that I'm not limited, that my reach isn't limited to a bar performance or the theater performance. So mm-hmm. I, I came through the gates with the lockdown, with the mentality of, oh, this is good. I'm gonna reach more people. Yeah. Yeah, it's embracing something new, isn't it? Yeah, and, yes. And that comes with that. Do you yes. read the comments? Are you that kind of person? I do, and I and I do my best. It may take me some days because sometimes I get like hundreds of comments. Some days it's just five. Um, but I do. I actually do um, block out time in my mm. schedule to to look at the comments. And if it's a comment I don't like, if it feels like an attack. You know, if it's a tongue emoji, if it's an eggplant, and I'm talking about healing. Yes. <laughs> that happens. That still happens to me. Mm. I block and go. I, I tell my students, you got to learn how to block and go. Mm. You don't, you just block. I, 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 I block and go because I'm trying to train myself to focus more on the love I'm receiving versus any void of love or anyone who doesn't quite understand what I'm trying to present. I think that's so positive. I think some performers, you could see them fall down that black hole over lockdown where they wanting to engage with social media and doing live yeah. classes, yeah. live performances. Yeah. But then when that negativity happens, they just get sucked in and I can completely understand because it just does feel like a personal attack. Because it, um, it, is. It, it is. is, it is, it is, it is. It is, unfortunately, um, yeah. It's just, I guess, trying to to deal with that in a way that doesn't hurt Mm. you quite as much. I think that was Mm. a really tricky thing to see. Yeah, and and I had a lot of, I had my own, like, you know, attacks during the lockdown from people in burlesque that I actually loved and admired until the attacks. And I spoke to my therapist about it. Mm. So that's, again, so I'm an advocate, especially if you are a performer, because you're putting yourself out there in a way that most people are not. So you have to have someone, not not your friends and family, they're not qualified mm. to truly give you the right advice all the time. So I, I, I am an advocate for therapy. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've also read that you said before that you don't have an alter ego. You are the person on stage. So I, I suppose in a way that makes you more vulnerable. Yes. As you're out there as yourself. Yes. I'm just out here as myself. I remember having this debate about whether or not I had a persona 
um, with with one of uh, the most celebrated burlesque queens in the world. She was like, no, you you have a persona. Like everyone has a persona. I was like, no, I'm I'm doing the same rituals on stage that I'm doing in my house. I'm presenting me, you know, so much so that I'm actually going to legally change my name to Pro Noir. I didn't there's, know there's that. No, yeah, there's no, I, I'm not feeling a like, okay, and now I'm going to be this person. It's like, no, I, I grew up wanting to be this glamorous person, wanting to wear makeup all the time, wanting to have on the heels. Like for a lot of performers, the only time they dress up is when they're performing. As to where I'll dress up going to the bodega. You know, uh, my burlesque wife, Jen Minsky, has this photo of me when she came to my house. And she pulled up in the Uber. I was outside sweeping in like my little house gown. I love that. <laughs> Full Hollywood fantasy is exactly what we want. She was like, why are you so dramatic? I love it because it's the antithesis of kind of what celebrity is now, really. You know, it's the warts and all side of things. Whereas yes, yes. So I'm just myself. Living the theatre. Living the theatre. And, and, and I also believe that's why my performances feel so powerful. Because uh, I'm not, I'm never telling a story. So I, I don't even consider what I do to be an act anymore. I'm like, well, it's a ritual and I'm wearing this for that ritual and I'm performing to this song during that ritual. That makes so much sense as to how you could so easily create these workshops and coaching yeah. sessions with all the skills that you have. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, yes. So healing through seduction, mm. that is my signature workshop. I also have my fan seduction workshops as well. Um, and with the fan seduction is I teach um, people how to really activate their fans so that their fans become an extension of their arms and their fingers. And they use their fans to help them spiritually and then sensually and then sexually. And in the healing through seduction, my students were actually the ones that helped me understand that my burlesque workshops were healing. So I started healing through seduction. Um, it was called burlesque seduction about 13, maybe 10 to 13 years ago, actually. And I was, you know, people were just coming to me. They were like, I want to do burlesque and I want to do it the way you do it. And so I would take them through the steps on how I create and how I start my performances. So it's like, okay, so let's seduce our own body. Let's tell ourselves how we feel about ourselves. Let's lift ourselves up. Let's look at ourselves in the mirror. Okay, everyone stand in the line and face each other, look at each other in the eyes. And these people were having such a hard time being that vulnerable. And when they allowed themselves to do it, at the end, people were crying. They were like, oh my God, this, is, this was so healing. And so I was, so they were the ones that taught me that I was doing healing workshops. I didn't realize <laughs> that I was. And so during the lockdown, I had did um, a divination from a hoodoo priestess and she speaks to ancestors. And, and I had been receiving these messages over and over myself, but you know, sometimes you need that confirmation. And I received the message from my ancestors that you're supposed to, this is the next level of your burlesque queendom is teaching people how to heal themselves mm. through like burlesque inspired rituals and also through the art of self-seduction. And it's an extension of my performances. 
you know, like they are workshops, but they're, they're actually still performances. And so a lot of times too, when people hire me for like their events, oh, they'll want the workshop. And then I end with a ceremony that's an, a performance, if you will. I love this because for me, the misconception or one of the misconceptions about burlesque is that it's about trying to seduce others when really it is mm-hmm. about yourself. I think so. I think so. And I, I understand that for some people it is yes. about seducing other people. But when they come to me, they learn the true power of self-seduction. That especially for performers, it's like, right, but the reason why you're online crying is because ultimately you want that booking, not because of any financial freedom, but because you want an opportunity to be validated. Mm. It's because you haven't validated yourself yet. Mm. That must be quite transformative for performers. How do they deal with that kind of realization? They either fight me or, they, <laughs> or you know, like they're like, like for some people in my classes, they get very angry at me, you know, um, or they submit to that. And I'm actually so proud to say that right now, most of my classes are a mix of wellness practitioners, therapists, uh, sex workers, um, stay-at-home moms, other entrepreneurs, and performers. And so you have this beautiful mix of people who all understand that I don't care if you're going into a boardroom, a classroom, a kitchen, the bodega, or performance. If you haven't romanced yourself through poetry, AKA affirmations, if you haven't looked at yourself, how are you going to ask someone to look at you? You know, look at you, say, I want this raise. Look at you, say, hey, buy this product. Look at you, say, hey, book me for this. And I feel so proud. It also sounds like quite a lot of responsibility as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's quite a... quite an intimate relationship you must build with people yeah and so what I'm finding is that my work is best done long term Mm. so I very like therapy yeah I very rarely do a one-off workshop and so it's like I do six weeks and then I take like a two to three week sabbatical and then I start the process over again I'm sure there's not a typical class, but could you just talk us through like a loose structure of what a class might look like for somebody who's interested, including me? Yes. So with Healing Through Seduction, oh, I love it so much when everyone arrives. And also my students who have been working with me for years, they all come early because everyone wants to hear my playlist. (laughs) (laughs) So we people come probably 10 or 15 minutes before and we all kind of jam together we turn on our camera and we kind of dance get it going and then once it's time to officially start I bring everybody in of course introduce myself and then I'd like to start with connection I like to start with the check-in so I love asking people you know why are you here what's your intention what are you hoping to achieve by the end of it After that, um, I ask everyone, you know, to put their lingerie on, grab their candles, grab their water or libation. And then I ask everyone to kind of close their eyes and I set the intention. Mm -hmm. I ask ancestors to come into the space. I ask spirit animals to come into the space. And then I ask the sensual energy to take over the space and go through kind of like a nice breath work exercise 
Um, I usually encourage people to moan with me because um, moaning really kind of terrifies people <laughs> when it's not for sex. And, and I do that so I can show them why they are here. It's like, you see that you're afraid of yourself because when you're having sex with someone, you'll let yourself, you know, cause it's like, I don't want anyone to hear me, the neighbors. And I'm like, but what about when you're having sex? And so now I'm asking you to moan for yourself. And after we kind of do these beautiful grounding exercises, I will walk everyone through one of the rituals that I've curated for that day. It usually will consist of a meditation, but for me, meditation shouldn't be still. Um, so I usually do like a guided touch or dance meditation. And we do a beautiful ritual. I bring everybody back in. I do a lot of check-ins. And actually before I even start this, I also usually always, always, always start with consent. Mm. And so I take everyone through a series of questions and make sure everyone understands the importance of them honoring their own boundaries. So if they need to stop, if they need to pause, that they should do that, that they can leave and then come back if they need to. And, you know, I let them know I'm going to be their sensual Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> <laughs> and then we usually end with some sort of burlesque inspired ritual, but you don't have to have any dance experience. Everything's inspired by burlesque, mm. but there's no like five, six, seven, eight, you know, it, it, it's not a dance class per se. And then we usually take a break because people always need a break. Um, it's so beautiful. Someone always cries, which I love, uh, as I think crying is one beautiful tool that we are not using because we've been taught that crying means something's wrong. It's like, no, no, just something needs to be released. And then we do a check-in. I like to do a lot of check-ins because um, I also want to make sure people are okay, but also there's that community building. I think there's something very powerful with communal healing. Um, and then depending on the time frame, I will either end with like a Q&A or we'll end with a connection exercise. And these virtual connection exercises are amazing. Um, one of the ones I did in my last session was I had everyone write out erotic poetry Ooh. or either reminisce about a, a fantasy of theirs or one of their best sexual experiences. And then we put it the Zoom on gallery view and I had everyone mute themselves so they can feel protected. But we all shared, we all spoke at the same time and just read aloud our memories or our fantasies. That's amazing. And everyone was like, oh my goodness, like the energy in the room. Somebody was like, my husband just got here. Bye everybody. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of like a typical healing through seduction experience. That's incredible. And it's great to hear because this is over Zoom, isn't it? You're not yes. in person. Yes, it's um, over Zoom. <laughs> and the amount of classes I've done where you, nothing like this, but you roll up to the <laughs> class, everyone's got their videos off, you just see the teacher, there's no connection. And actually, yeah. I very rarely have finished those courses just because there's no connection there. Absolutely. So I think this sounds really different. Yes, um, yes. And, and it's burlesque. Yes. This is what burlesque is. This is what my ancestors have decided. Because as you know, I've always gone against the grain, even in burlesque. A, a niche, that's a niche. I'm still different. And this is the new way I am a burlesque queen. This is the new rendition of my burlesque performances. 
how has this affected your approach to performing mm. performing on stage oh it's so different because like now I always went into the theater early and stretched and like asked the ancestors to be with me but like now I do a full on ritual there I also um activate my groin so I do yoni mapping just to make sure there's some when people are seeing me they are really feeling sensual energy it's not choreographed it's not a five six seven eight lick five six seven eight wink five six yes. seven eight bump when I am when I'm bumping I'm bumping <laughs> <laughs> what's your rehearsal process like then because you you are so naturalistic in your performances as you can tell this isn't like a over rehearsed <laughs> piece that you've yeah. done a thousand times yeah um, I imagine you're your performances evolve much more naturally mm -hmm. over time. I think so. And part of that is because when I do create something and I have always done this, I never choreograph, choreograph the full piece. I always mm -hmm. left two minutes here, two minutes here to where it's connection only. Mm -hmm. um, and when I rehearse, I rehearse as if I'm performing live. Mm -hmm. I allow myself to be emotional, um, but also all of my acts, I don't have many, but the ones that I have, they are all inspired by moments of resilience mm -hmm. as to where most people create based on, you know, a music video that they liked, a movie, a character, <laughs> or, you know, a costume piece, or it's like, this is the story that I want to tell, um, but I'm reliving these moments of, of resilience in my life on stage. And so the, the natural emotional factor comes up even when I'm rehearsing. And I do that intentionally. It leaves you very vulnerable. Um, yes. Even in rehearsals and live, do you, are you ever surprised at your emotional responses to a performance? No, because I've always been emotional and I came from a black Baptist family where emotions were not welcomed. Mm. Um, and so, but I always just, my, I was talking to some of my cousins yesterday and they were like, you've always been this way. Mm. And so I just have always had the courage to be myself and to be vulnerable. And I understand that that, um, when I had one of my divinations with this priestess, Hoodoo Hussey is her name. And she was like, you have been called to heal people by just being yourself. Yeah. So like people see how authentic you are and how vulnerable you are. And it heals them just by looking at that Instagram post, by looking at this performance. I mean, even, and I say this because unfortunately it's so taboo, but even grown men have come up to me with tears. Mm in their eyes after seeing me perform. I read a fabulous quote from you, mm. which is that you were your first client when it came to healing. Yeah. Um, and that really seems to ring true um, with everything you're saying and this series of workshops that you've put together, which are so very personal. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I had to heal myself um, from first was internalized racism. I grew up being told I was ugly and that the ugly factor first of all was just, I was too dark. Um, and so, especially coming into burlesque, this is a white, I mean, I know it's diverse, but it's a white woman's game. That's facts are just facts. <laughs> so 
it, and when I was doing it, like when I first started, and I first started touring with like Dita and Immodesty Blaze, yeah, it was me. It was just me and hardly any people of color in the audience. Mm -hmm. and, and that can be very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to make a conscious decision to love that I was a dark-skinned Black woman. I had to make a conscious decision um, to love myself for being unique. Again, even in the niche, I'm unique. And I had to make a decision um, to deal with any abandonment issues. And I had to make a decision to love myself and by, by disconnecting from my mother, who for me is abusive. So yeah, I, I, I remember that commercial <laughs> for the hair plugs. I'm 42, I don't know how old you are. I'm 41. But there was like, I don't know, I don't know if it was just in America, but there was like the hair club for men Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, and, you know, he's like, you know, oh, and I've got this hair plugs and, you know, he's showing us like all of this, this transformation. And at the end, he's like, I'm not only a client, I'm the president. And I just have loved that ever since. And then Biggie that. Smalls also ended up saying that too. Like, I'm not only the client, I'm the player president. And so <laughs> that's me. I'm not only the client, I'm the president. <laughs> it's me <laughs> you, you've talked about like the, the the struggles that you've had like finding a space even within your own niche but you went out and then you created you, you know you created your own spaces and you created spaces for others so you created the noir pageant yes yes wow. the noir pageant oh my god I had to I had to create yeah. my own space because I wasn't going to traumatize myself by begging any white producers to give me a space. And I wasn't going to be mad at them for only wanting to hire white people. I feel as though producers are within their right to have their preferences. I totally understand the outrage with that, but also it's like, but I don't need to spend my life as an adult begging to have a seat at the table when I can just learn how to build my own. Mm -hmm. And so that's what the noir pageant was. And the noir pageant came from when I won Queen of Burlesque. I actually did the impossible by beating Catherine Delish at the New York, I uh, sorry, the New Orleans first Queen of Burlesque. And because Rick Delop didn't feel that I was the right look, the right face, all of the promo featured Catherine Delish and Evie Lavelle, who was her protege at the time. Mm -hmm. And no one was like, well, isn't Pearl going to be interviewed? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think everyone did what they should do, which was take the opportunity. But, and I had to audition to even do a queen step down. He wasn't even going to let me do a step down. And what year was this? This was 2009. It was the first, it was the first one. And so after that, I said, I'm going to create my own pageant one day, but I kind of waited. I waited to see if any other black burlesque performer was going to do one. I waited 10 years. I actually waited 10 whole years. And then I said, okay, I guess no one's going to do it. So here we are. The noir pageant was born. I was going to ask you in the, 
10 plus years you've been doing burlesque, what are the changes that you've seen and what would you like to see change? I believe the changes that I have seen is that people are being conscious about who they hire, mm -hmm. right? It, it, I do see more diversity. The change that I would personally like to see, I would like to never see a person of color, a big bodied person, a person, you know, um, like anyone who feels that they're other, trans, non-binary, um, anyone who is a, a person in a, a wheelchair, whoever you are, I'd like to never see anyone who feels that they are other or marginalized or what have you. I'd love to never see the, I, I'm tired of the white shows. I'd love to see, I have created any other BIPOC people want to get together? Let's create our own thing. I'd love to never see anyone as white producers or organizations for a seat at a table. Yeah. There are just too many resources that white people are not needed for any creative endeavors. They're just not necessary. <laughs> They're not necessary anymore. There's, like, there are too many free resources to, to build a legacy, to document a legacy, to generate income. Because also it's like, it's disheartening because the white people who are being asked to create the opportunities aren't even paying anything. So it's like, but what's the financial evolution that, you know, we, like the revolution has to be financed. So that's what I'd love to see that end. And often, unfortunately, when you do have the white producer, it's ending in tokenization. I was just at a drag show on Friday and um, there was a trans performer who was performing with three other trans performers. And they said, this is the first yeah. time I've ever performed and not been the only trans performer. Wow. Yeah. Um, and it is a movement that's happening more in the UK as well. Obviously, the Cocoa mm -hmm. Butter Club in London, which is phenomenal. Yes, but, oh, love. Um, but there's other shows starting up. There's... Mm drag shows in Manchester starting and um mm. yeah it's got it's got to be the best way for things can go yeah because we need to do what drag did like drag kind of went on its own and now drag is mainstream because of RuPaul and finding these beautiful investors so you know yes, I, I was to take a you know I was thinking of this today what would be the drag race equivalent of burlesque <laughs> I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to make that come to fruition. I bet you are. Yeah. You're I'm trying to make to that come it, to fruition. Girl. Yeah. You've got to yes. be the one to do it. Yes. And so sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, not at all. I was just going to circle back and talk about ritual because that seems very important to you, not just in your mm -hmm. your workshops, but in day-to-day -day life. Um, yeah. is that something that is is key to, to your well-being? I think so. I, you know, when I start my day, I wake up, I smile and I, I say thank you. Um, especially because I am a free woman, you know, and then it's layered because I'm a free black woman. I look at my hands and how soft they are. I, I look at my back and see that there's, there are no scars there. And, and so I say, well, what can I do today to honor ancestors? And it's usually my work. And I look at my calendar and it's like today I have a podcast interview. And then after that, I have like an hour break and then it's workshops until, you know, private sessions until seven. And then at seven, I have a spa day with my healing through seduction students. Wow. <laughs> and you know what I mean? So everything must be a ritual and everything must be done with intention. Of course, there are things always happening. 
you know, like right now for me, um, the woman who raised me, my grandmother, she's definitely dying. But I do wake up and understand that even with that knowledge, that happiness is a choice. Um, and I say that as a person also that doesn't have any clinical depression or anything. So this kind of statement is not for anyone who's dealing with anything clinical. This is, this is a spiritual statement. This is an emotional statement. And, and then before we started, um, I went to my altar. I said, thank you. I asked that I do no harm. I asked that, that, my, that whatever comes out of my mouth is, is, is healing. I put on my protection oil. Um, just to make sure that, you know, I'm protected and that I'm able to, to do what I need to do. I put on my money drawing oil to ask for, to, you know, for the abundance to come through, not just financially, but with my thoughts, you know, so that I'm staying creative and hey, and then I got on. <laughs> I think it's good to recognize the rituals that we do. I think I have a lot of rituals that I've only just realized how important they are, but also that they are rituals to me and that they are important. I think that's quite useful to be conscious mm -hmm. of that process. Absolutely. What was it that first drew you to burlesque? Ah, uh, it chose me. Mm. I wasn't looking for burlesque. I moved to New Orleans just on a whim. And I was like, okay, you know, like I wanted to be a singer and a dancer. So when I was living in Vegas, I worked for a lounge band. I went to New Orleans and I was looking for a band to work with and opened up the paper. I'm looking for auditions. And there was this black woman named Jeannie Hatt, who was like, I've created this all black burlesque musical. You know, you need to be a singer and a dancer. And I'm not a trained dancer, um, but I can, I can do a two step. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, okay, let me go see what this is. Ended up getting the role of Lolly Fadici. And so I needed to do all this research about burlesque, black burlesque performers in particular. And so I, I was like, I had kind of heard of Josephine, but this is when I really, really became in love with her. And, I, mm. and, and she said to me, you are going to continue my legacy. Mm. And so I didn't choose the game. The game <laughs> chose me. <laughs> and what a person to have to speak to you as well. Mm -hmm. Goodness mm -hmm. me, what a fascinating individual Josephine was. Mm -hmm. And you mm -hmm. certainly did continue that legacy. Even with the Rainbow Tribe, I have a lot of burlesque children and they are all different genders and races. Mm -hmm. And one of my burlesque daughters brought that to my attention. I hadn't even connected those dots. I was just thinking about like the work that I'm doing. She was like, but you have your Rainbow Tribe too. You have so many burlesque children. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Will there, Rainbow Tribe. <laughs> will there be, I was just thinking, my, my favourite um, book about Josephine Baker is uh, Josephine Baker in Art and Life, because I think it really sets her into a cultural context, and it's just one of my favourites. Mm -hmm. Will there ever be a Pearl Noir uh, expose, autobiography? Yes. Good. Yes, yeah, yeah. So my friend, um, Reverend Legs Malone, a.k.a. Anna Brooke, um, she has this beautiful writing through transition class and she has a lot of writing courses. So she's really encouraging me because she wrote a book as well. And she's really encouraging me to, to get on that. So I am definitely working on that and also working on a documentary for the noir pageant that I hope to be able to 
see on the big screen one day. Oh, me too. Well, I was saying to you just before this interview, the first time I saw you was on the big screen when you were mm-hmm. in the documentary Burlesque Undressed, which I still think is absolutely mm-hmm. worth a look. It came out in 2010. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, your two mentors, Wild Cherry and Rita Alexander, I mean, mm-hmm. goodness me, how did you meet them? Because I, these were two women that also performed in the, in the 50s, in the yes. heyday. Yes, on Bourbon Street. So I met them through working with Rick DeLop for Bust Out Burlesque. He, one of the things I love that he did was he was adamant about always featuring a living burlesque legend in all of his shows, his monthly reviews. And so they were brought on and for all of us that were working with him to have access to, and I really like honored that resource. And so while Cherry, especially, he's, you know, she was a true burlesque star who also danced barefoot, Mm -hmm. who was very wild on stage, hence her name. And I always loved referencing her because a lot of times people would give me attitude because they were like, you're not doing burlesque because you're dancing barefoot. And I was like, honey, I didn't graduate from no burlesque school of charm. <laughs> I, I, I have had the Wild Cherry and Rita Alexander help me. And then after them, Dita Von Teese, mm. who I still go to for advice. Mm. But, and also Dolly Rivas, who's not a burlesque legend, but she was the choreographer that Rick hired to come on. And she's helped almost every New Orleans burlesque performer in <laughs> for this generation and she was a black showgirl back in her day and she really you know she's like my burlesque mother and um also the beautiful marinka uh, who just passed but i was so grateful for her that she was able to tell the world that she was a trans woman before yeah. she left yeah yeah freeing who were these people that told you you couldn't dance barefoot or that were criticizing I would, you? I would say everyone. And it was also <laughs> part of the reason why I never, you know, I was told this was the reason why you didn't win at Burlesque Hall of Fame, along with some other reasons. Like my acts just, you know, didn't fit what, what the judges, you know, criteria was, which I think is valid. You know, with the healing that I've done, I can see that now. At the time, I couldn't, of course. But perhaps to be celebrated that you were doing something mm-hmm. so different. Yes, yes. And I, I, you know, when you are different, when you're a visionary, sometimes you don't get those roses. I mean, Little Richard never received any awards mm. while he was alive. I don't know if many people know that, but so many people were inspired by him. Yeah. But you have won awards though, so. <laughs> I have, I have, I have not a queen title, hmm. which a lot of people like to remind me of. I've done so many things and they're like, oh, it's just too bad you're not a real queen because you didn't win that Behoff. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, but I have my receipts. I have my receipts though, so. There's a slight element of toxicity that you're exposing that happens in burlesque, I have to say, mm-hmm. but the, the way you cope with it seems to be phenomenal. You know, and, and, and I think it's, um, I think that's to be expected in any field. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, I mean, one of my burlesque daughters is a lawyer. I'm sure at her firm it's competitive. I, you know, people who come to me who work nine to five, you know, I'm sure Susie, you know, is mad at Jane for getting that raise, honey. <laughs> Absolutely. And Susie's being a mess. You know, she's gonna take, she's gonna go in that refrigerator and get that damn donut, even though her name is not on it, honey. You know, so. 
it may just not play itself out as publicly, perhaps. As... It, but it is public. Everyone in the office knows. That's true. That's true. Everyone. It is public. And so, <laughs> That's so true. you know, you just have to remember that everyone is going to talk to you from their perspective. Everyone is, is trying to make it mm. and, and everyone has their opinion. And so, but what I have, what I understand now is how to kind of create this protective layer and understand that I need to focus on what the audience is saying and doing versus what any naysayer is saying or doing. So, you know, for all of us, we, we have a choice on which audience we're going to nurture. Yes. Right. Cause they're both an audience, the people yes. who don't like you, they're still an audience. <laughs> they're still watching. Yeah. And then there's the people who are standing up and crying. So it's up to me to decide who, which audience am I going to nurture? What's next for you? You're doing so many trailblazing things. What are you excited about and looking forward to? And do you have more exciting new things on the horizon? I'm sure you do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as of right now, I'm getting ready for my next Healing Through Seduction eight-week course. I'm excited about that. But on the grand scheme of things, what I feel is next is um, I'm focusing on visibility through media. And so I really want to be able to go on like the Today Show, to go on The View, to be a judge at RuPaul's Drag Race for when yes. they're doing burlesque. It's like, let me actually show you what burlesque is and what Please it can be. You know, so like, I, I think what's next for me is being called into different movie sets in, and um, music video sets to be an intimacy coach, to be a burlesque consultant, to be an advisor. And, and like I said, to also take my message to the next level through, through media opportunities. And one of the things that I was very proud of that I didn't get to do was I secured a 15 city international tour for the noir pageant winners and so I plan to do that again my ultimate dream is to have this beautiful noir tour um, where it's international you know I'm working with different producers around the world and we're highlighting BIPOC performers in a real way in these beautiful 3,000 seat theaters and nothing against the bars, but we already seen that. I want mm-hmm. I want it to be elevated, mm-hmm. and um, I I also want to. I, the thing I'm working on right now is manifesting a healing through seduction tour as well. Oh. So I, I want to go all over the world presenting the workshop, and and presenting an opportunity not just for the students to see me perform, but for them to perform themselves. So it's like a beautiful showcase ritual. Um. And, and one of my ultimate dreams is to go to Paris to put on a proper, what I feel would be a proper tribute to Josephine Baker. Yes. Oh, that would be absolutely incredible. And I'm sure it's something that will happen. Yeah, I just keep trying to manifest that. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) For any listeners who would like to take part in your Healing Through Seduction workshops, how do they go about it? I will link to your yes. website on the podcast description, obviously, to find out Thank all the details you. they need to about you. Yeah, yes. Just visiting my website, definitely subscribing to my newsletter, but also the quickest way would be to DM me via Instagram. Right. Um, and so it's, you know, the Pearl Noir, T-H-E, 
P-E-R-L-E-N-O-I-R-E. Yes. Fantastic. I will put the yes. links for everybody because I'm sure they will want to take part. Thank it's you. been such an honour to speak to you. Thank um, you. It's been a real pleasure. I've been such a fan of yours for such a long time. So um, it, oh. it means a lot to, to speak to you on the podcast. So thank you so thank much. You. And I hope to see you in one of your workshops very soon. I think you will. Hi again, it's Carly. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you want to find out more or get in touch, head over to teawithkingsandqueens.com.